Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 181 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes details reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as The Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it going. If you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even for more generous, for $5, receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can find out more by going to www.patreon.com slash observersnotebook. If you'd like to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $22 a year. Find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now a very special episode with Comet Discoverer Alan Hale. Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. And today we have a very, very special guest with us today. We have Alan Hale, co-discoverer of that famous comet, Hale-Bopp. Welcome to the podcast, Alan. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, now you've had quite the professional career prior to 1995 when the comet discovered. I mean, you, you, you get to straight, you graduated from the Naval Academy. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. And then you, I, I worked at JPL. You worked at JPL as well. You worked in the Deep mm-hmm. Space, Space Network on the Voyager 2 encounter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And uh, you went to New Mexico State University where you got your master's and PhD. Mm-hmm. And then you founded the Southwest Institute of Space Research in 1993. Now it's known as Earthrise. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. And th- that was all before the comet discovery. That is right. Uh, wow. So how did that change your life? Uh, it, it, I guess the best way to summarize it is that it allowed me to have the career that I didn't quite ever get to have, at least I would not have had otherwise. Hmm. Uh, there were I, I took some detours along the way, some of which you uh, recounted in that little description you just gave. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when it, it come, came to my contemporaries with the newly minted PhDs and stuff, I was behind the curve, so to speak, because I had had all these detours. And by the time I had my PhD, I had a family. I had one child. And actually, my second child was born right after I defended. So I wasn't 
free and flexible to go move around like PhDs are kind of young PhDs are expected to be able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what kind of forced me to start my own organization, start my, doing research and education. Okay. And that's uh, when uh, I happened to stumble across a certain object in the sky one night. And now, now were you hunting for a no, comet? No. Okay. Uh, it was an accidental discovery. Now, I've been observing comets ever since I was 11 years old. I mm-hmm. mean, that's, uh, I saw, I got my first telescope when I was 11. I saw my first comet with it two weeks later. And then. What, what comet was that? That was Comet Tago Sato Kosaka. Okay. In early 1970. And then it was just two months later that Comet Bennett appeared. And that was one of the 20th century's great comets. Yeah. That was my first comet. Too. Yeah. And that was, if you saw that, then, you know, that was a truly spectacular sight yeah. to behold. Yes, it was. And uh, that's kind of what got me hooked. So here I've seen, I mean, Tago Sato Kosaka was faintly visible to the naked eye. Bennett was a beautiful, bright comet, mm-hmm. easily visible to the naked eye. And I got, Oh wow. These bright comets come by all the time. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, okay. But, uh, that turned out not to be quite so true. I just happened to come come into activity right at the very fortuitous time. And by that time, I was hooked. So mm-hmm. I started to observe every comet that I could. Uh, and I, Most of them are very dim and dinky ones, but I've seen right. the bright ones that came along as well. And I decided I did want to be cool to have one named after me. So I started hunting for them on an occasional basis and was never successful. And then while I was in graduate school, um, and I was living kind of far enough out away from the city that I could observe from the backyard, I hunted for comets on a very systematic basis for several years. Hmm. I came close a couple of times. Actually had one taken away from me by bad weather at the wrong time. No. Uh, And then... Once I got my, my doctorate and had to really start working for a living, and now with two small kids, I kind of said, "Okay, well, that was a nice idea, but it, I'm I'm going to have to just put all common hunting and everything on the back burner. I'll still observe the ones that are around that I know right. about." What type of equipment gonna, were you using at that time? Uh by the time I had the the me DS sixteen sixteen inch Newtonian. Oh wow! I still use I still use that instrument. As yeah. fact, as most most recently as this morning. Oh my! Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit sleep deprived because I was up half the night last night. But <laughs> yeah, there's a few comets in the sky right now. Yes, there are. And uh, so uh, I had given up on comet hunting, and then what do I? What happens is I stumble across one. Without mm. even look, even looking for it or thinking about, it. and not only do I stumble across a comet, I just stumble across the one that everybody remembers, or at least everybody about right. a certain age remembers. Right, pretty amazing. Yeah, now you, now Tom um, um, Tom Bott was uh, amateur astronomer. Yes, he was, uh, yeah. and he who in fact had never seen a comet before. Really, I didn't know that. that. Was, he well, he told me. I mean, we, I, I did not know Tom before the discovery, mm-hmm. but obviously, uh, yeah, uh, we met and got to know each other pretty well mm-hmm. during the time afterwards. And uh, uh, he uh, he'd been a, an amateur astronomer for most of his life, right? But he had never seen a comet. And the first comet he ever saw was one that he kind of stumbled across as well, just like I did. And yeah, what you guys did doesn't happen anymore. 
No, it really doesn't. Not not with the surveys. Yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, Don Don Mackles was a good friend of mine. And, you know, all the comments he discovered and David Levy, all the ones he discovered and things like that. They just, now they're all named after, you know, Sky Surveys. That's that's right. Uh, I mean, I I I knew I know the I knew Don quite well. I mm-hmm. know David quite well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I confirmed several discoveries of both of them. Right. And uh, I last saw Don at the Riverside Conference in California. Uh, yeah, six years ago, twenty eighteen. Okay, one of the last ones. Yes. Uh, in fact, that was the last one. I think that was held at Camp Oaks. Yeah. And. Uh, he told me that he was still hunting, mm-hmm. and uh, I wished him good luck, but I didn't think he would find anything with, with all the surveys that are going on right now. Yeah. And lo and behold, yeah. a few months later, he did find one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the only visual comet discovered visually within the last decade was the one that he found later that year. Right. And yeah. uh, He's a good guy. I miss him. Yes, he was. Uh, but sorry to hear of his passing. I miss him. Dooms well. I mean, David. Uh, I don't know if David still hunts or not. Or if, I know he's just doing a lot of outreach and work yeah. and stuff. But uh, I guess there are some people that still do the visual hunting. Uh, mm-hmm. I wish him well, but in all the surveys going it's, on right now, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. and it's only going to get even more intense. I mean, the, the Vera Rubin survey that's going to go online in South America here within the next two or three years. That's going to be surveying the entire sky visible from Chile down to 40, 24th magnitude every two or three nights. So, hmm. yeah. So, what are you currently working on? Uh, I, I'm kind of semi retired right now. And by that, I mean, uh, I'm not being paid for anything. I mean, okay. other than I, I do some occasional freelance writing, uh, I'm involved uh, with uh, the Las Cumbres Observatory which is a global network of remotely controlled telescopes that are cited as some of the top observatory sites in the world. I mean, they're, they have telescopes at McDonald's Observatory in Texas, at Siding Spring, New South Wales, Cerro Tololo in Chile, uh, Haleakala in Hawaii, and uh, South Africa, uh, Tenerife in the Canary Islands, uh, the ones I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. Um, so I do a lot of imaging work with those telescopes, which is a nice contrast to the visual work. Like, as I mentioned earlier, I was out visually observing comets this morning uh, when it was 20 degrees or colder Uh here in the winter, here in the mountains, and I'm all bundled up. And my knees are aching and my back Mm -hmm. is aching and stuff. Whereas when I want to take images, I sit here in the living room, right where I'm sitting right now, and I just call up the webpage for the LCO and order up observations and Maybe a few hours later, here they are. Yeah. So I do so, whatever analysis so you, I need to do on, do on them. So are you doing certain type of studies or programs? Uh, mainly, I do astrometric work for comets. I do, if there are objects on the Minor Planet Center's possible comet confirmation page or their near-Earth object confirmation page that are bright enough for me to get with the telescopes that I have at my disposal, I will try to get images of those and do the astrometry so at least they can be their discoveries can be reported properly uh, i've got two such objects that i'm following right now uh the big uh, thing that i'm kind of i guess i don't like to say proud of but i'm kind of pleased with was 
back in August, I made the recovery of Comet Olbers. Oh. Which is one of the Halley-type comets that's returning this year mm-hmm. to Perihelion in June. Uh, last time Olbers returned was in 1956, uh, two years before I was born. Mm-hmm. And um, I started trying to recover that with the LCL scopes back in 2022. And I tried about once a month and never saw anything. And then it was in conjunction with the sun middle of the last year, but towards around June or July, it started reappearing in the morning sky. I started going again. And uh, I, on August 24th, I took two images with one of the one meter LCL scopes at sighting spring, found an object. I was able to, locate that on images i taken about a week and a half earlier then continue i continued to order up images over the next several days got it on every single image i took mm-hmm. uh and and made the recovery and is that what you were looking for at the time yes i was i was okay. specifically looking to try to recover comet olbers i i wanted that comet for some reason i yeah. i just think is the connection to like i say uh, two years before i was born mm. uh my partner's parents, uh, Vicky's my partner, her parents mm-hmm. were actually married right around, right at the time it was visible in the sky. Okay. And she was conceived uh, just after the final appear- observations of that comet were made. So, Oh, my. So, that, that, so uh, that, 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 there's a little deep interest in that comet for you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've been imaging it pretty on a fairly regular basis ever since recovery. Uh Last image it about a about a week week and a half ago. It's up to about sixteenth magnitude right now. Oh my! Definitely showing uh, com. It's definitely a combat. I mean, it's mm-hmm. showing a coma tail and everything. And I'm hoping to pick it up visually by perhaps sometime next month. Okay. Now your current equipment. You mentioned the sixteen inch. Mm-hmm. That's, that's and that's is that your main telescope right now? That is my main one. Uh, I do have a couple of others. I have an eight inch uh, Mead Newtonian that I. Purchased as a graduation present to myself when I graduated from the Naval Academy, mm. uh, 1980. That was, was quite a while ago. Uh, oh my! Uh, I don't use that telescope much anymore, but I do it set up on occasion. Uh, I do have a smaller one, uh, a Schmidt cast, like a four-inch Schmidt cast from me that I actually purchased used at that Riverside conference I mentioned a while <laughs> back. Okay. And that's a very portable telescope. Right. So I, I got that for these and portability. And I use that for some of the brighter objects or what have you. For If I'm going to be traveling somewhere, for example, I'll be taking that with me to Texas for the solar eclipse in April. So okay. Yeah, the 16-inch is a little bit too big to lug around. Yeah, I've done it. I, I have transported that thing around uh, mm-hmm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I no longer do that. I have mm-hmm. I keep it in a... Kind of what I call the lower building, a separate building on my property here that's about a hundred yard walk away. Okay. Except I now that my knees and back are complaining, I actually drive a little scooter down to it now. But, there you uh, go. I understand that. Yeah, I'll, I'll walk there. I have I have a weight machine in that building, and in fact, a little that later today, I'll walk down and hit the weights. But uh, at night, especially here in the winter time, no, I'll I'll drive down there. So. Okay. But I, I keep the telescope in there, and I wheel it out. I have a little concrete uh, slab, and I'll wheel it out, uh, do whatever I'm doing with it, and wheel it back in. So. Now, is that mostly for visual work, or do you do astrophotography with it? No, that's strictly a visual instrument. Okay. So you still uh, put your eye to the eyepiece. 
Yeah, I do. In fact, that's, that's thank, what I was doing. doing thank you for that. Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> but we're we're a dying breed, I think. <laughs> I think so, but uh, yeah. it's fun. It's yeah. fun. It's still something I still enjoy doing. Uh, oh yeah. I may not be keeping it up for too much longer. My uh, say, my body's really starting to complain about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had actually planned some time ago that in 2024, once Ponds, Brooks, and Olbers uh, were gone, I might. Uh, if not hang it up completely, but go down to a much, much, much reduced level. But then mm-hmm. Comet Su Chin Chan Atlas happened to be discovered. Yeah. Right. And that's uh shows at least the potential to be something really bright and spectacular later this year. We'll have to see if it lives up to that potential. But there's uh, always gonna be another comet of the century, you know? Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, speaking of that, comets for this year are actually pretty interesting. Yes, they are. Yeah, we got some uh, nice ones. You mentioned Ponds Brooks, which just underwent a new outburst. Yeah, within the last 24, 48 hours or so, I haven't seen it, but I've seen images of it. That comet's actually getting very difficult for me to access from where I'm at. Like from where I have my that sixteen inch set up, I have trees in that direction pretty Gosh. low. So, um, I think after the moon, I can transport one of those smaller telescopes to. Place this gives me a more direct view of it, so mm-hmm. I'm hoping we'll see it then. Uh, there's, okay. of course, Olbers, uh, of course, Uchincha and Atlas so will be bright. By the way, that was one of the comments I looked at this morning visually. Oh, okay, it's about 13 and a half, so nice. Which, considering that that map here healing is not until September, late September is actually pretty good, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you mentioned the uh, upcoming total solar eclipse. What are your plans? I'm going to Kerrville, Texas, okay. Um, I have made arrangements with the, there's a university there, uh, private, uh, I think it's a, a Lutheran university. Uh, anyway, uh, they have a, a, a 16 inch, uh, permanently based observatory telescope. And I want to see if I can see any comets during the eclipse. I'm collaborating with the, the Soho project. Uh, you may be aware that the, the Soho chronographs have been, Detecting thousands of comets during mm-hmm. the 20 years since Soho was launched. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's been close to 30 years now. And uh, I've collaborated with the, the comet people at Soho, and every eclipse I've been to since then, and I have, there's never been a comet that has appeared right at the time of the eclipse. Yeah. Um, well, so, Ponds Brooks should be pretty interesting. Ponds Brooks will be about 25 degrees from the sun at totality. Mm-hmm. So if there is no, Soho discovered comet at the time of the eclipse. I'm hoping to go get Ponds Ponds Brooks. In fact, since totality lasts over four minutes, four to four and a half minutes, it is conceivable that even if there is a Soho comet, I could still get both. Yeah. Uh, Well, Soho comet would would be my priority, but Ponds Brooks would be the next. So I'm looking forward to see if I can image the eclipse with Ponds Brooks. Yeah. That that would be pretty wild. I'm sure there'll be people doing that. So, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. So what else have you what else have you been working on? Well, I say going back to the work with the Las Cubas Observatory, I'm mm-hmm. part of one of their educational outreach efforts called Global Sky Partners, uh, which is a series of educators around the planet who are utilizing the LCO telescopes for various educational projects and programs. About once a month, we all get together and have a Zoom meeting. In fact, we had one yesterday. Mm. 
and we had uh, at least usually one or two of the educators involved will give uh, brief presentations on the activities they're doing with their students. Yesterday, we had a presentation from an educator in the Netherlands, and we had one from Morocco. Oh, huh. So, I mean, we have, uh, it just, I mean, you, you and I have been around long enough that we probably found this amazing. I remember being back in high school, and my dad made a long-distance phone call to Santa Fe, and I thought that was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. And now we're doing, I'm doing live video chats with people oh. uh, in real time from all over the world. Yes. Yes. I, when I started this podcast five or six years ago, I had to teach people how to use Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> then the pandemic came along. Everybody mm -hmm. knows how to use Zoom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And it's just amazing. I mean, we had, I mean, just yesterday, besides those two, I mean, the, the guy who actually runs Global Sky Partners is in London. And so we, we had people from Europe, from South America, from India. That's great. I mean, plus here in the U.S. as well, mm -hmm. uh, we've had people from China. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 really amazing. Mm -hmm. Now, you started the Earthrise Institute. Is that still an active body? Uh, I would say it's more dormant right now. Okay. Uh, I started it as a way to kind of have a, a way to fulfill my career, and then Halebop came along, which allowed okay. me to to do that to an extent. Okay. Um, then I, what caused me to kind of change its focus and rename it, what uh, came about uh, in the, a year or two after Hale Bop was here. Uh, there's a, a long story involved. I've been involved with the promoting commercial space activities here in New Mexico ever since I graduated uh, with my doctorate, uh, yeah. and. I'd gone to one of our meetings. They were used, they're held in Las Cruces, which is about a two hour drive from here. And it was there was like an overnight affair and all that. So I was just was reading uh, an interview that the recently elected president of Iran had given, hmm. where he was asking for a dialogue of civilizations between the U.S. and Iran. And I will confess that I that time I had the view of Iran that most Americans have. Mm -hmm. You know blindfolded hostages, death to the great Satan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So here's this guy, the president of that country, asking, to, hey, let's sit down and talk. Hmm. And he was asking for an exchange visit to scholars, and I got to thinking, uh, okay, whether or not I'm a scholar is perhaps a debatable point, <laughs> but I'm sure everybody in Iran saw that comment when it was there. You're right. And there was a total solar eclipse that was going to be crossing right across that country a year and a half in the future. Mm. So I didn't know where to begin. I but started trying to pursue, make that happen. I took a couple of you know, what turned out to be dead ends, but then I happened to make the right uh, contact with an organization in D.C. called Search for Common Ground. And uh, they made contact with people in Iran who were looking to invite Americans over for the eclipse. Oh wow! And then they and then they found out that I was interested in doing that. They brought us all together. I ended up taking a group of Americans over for the eclipse. We spent two weeks traveling around and meeting people. Wow! And Back at that time, that must have been very interesting. It was fascinating. Yeah, uh, 
it was a, an incredible time for all of us because mm-hmm. there had been very, very few Americans in Iran at that time. Right. Uh, there had been an American wrestling team that had visited the country the year before. And they got <laughs> quite a bit of publicity, but we were like the next group Okay, that uh, went over there. And uh, the, the, the people were just, they were ecstatic to meet us and talk to us. I mean, they were the people where they were just very, very friendly to us. Very good. And uh, so I've I've kept my contacts with people in Iran ever since. I they invited us back for another trip the following year, and that's why I took another group over. Oh, uh, some of them came over to the U.S. the year after that. Uh, I'm still in contact with some of them. Uh, so it it kind of occurred to me that astronomy, since it's the same sky we all see at night, yes. was a great way for bringing people together and building bridges. So Good that point. kind of became the focus of what I wanted Earthrise to do. Okay. So I've pursued activities along those lines. I've been, I've worked from everything from there's a one of the Native American tribes that's not too far from me. I've done quite a few activities with them over mm-hmm. the years, uh, all the way to uh, I, several years ago, I made a trip to Lebanon. And spent about a week over in that country uh, mm. speaking with st- school students and what have you. Uh, it's been quite a trip. Yeah. Wow. Outreach. That's good. That's yeah. you've you've used that comet uh, for getting you out there to do some outreach, and that's great. Yeah. And Global Sky Partners, uh, to me, I see as a continuation of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember it was after one of our monthly Zoom meetings a few months ago. And you know, just hearing all these presentations from and all these discussions with people and educators all over the world, and after the meeting was over, it just hit me. Said, "This is what I really wanted Earthrise to do." Mm. So, that's nice. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you've also authored a number of books too. I wouldn't say a number, but there's been a handful. Okay, uh, uh, you want to talk about any of those? Give them a plug. Well, uh, I I wrote a book uh, after the comet's discovery called "Everybody's Comet." Mm-hmm. Uh, it took me a while to find a publisher because I got turned down by several big name publishers. Well, there's not going to be much interest in this. It'll only be brief. Well, of course, what do they know? Mm-hmm. But I found a, a rec- on a recommendation of a mutual friend, I've got in touch with a mom and pop publishing outfit here in New Silver City. They agreed to take it on, and it ended up being the biggest selling book in their history. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was everybody's, everybody's comment, right? Yeah. Okay. And of course, it dated not. It was a guide on the discovery of Hale Bopp, and it was about comets in general, Hale Bopp in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of that is still valid. The, the part of the book that tells you where and when to look for it and what to expect, that's kind of outdated now. Right. Uh, I still have, uh, I bought the publishers out a few years later. Oh. I still have a few hundred copies of that book left. I mean, they're kind of all in boxes. It's available on Amazon or something, though, too, isn't it? Uh, they're probably. There's probably books available on Amazon that way, but I say I still have a bunch of them. The only other book I've written that has never made it past uh, ebook form. Uh, I wrote an autobiography back uh, nine years ago called "The Comet Man." Yeah, I was dealing with some emotional issues at the time. I'd had a a deep uh, personal relationship that had blown up in my face, and I was. Mm having trouble dealing with that. And then my mother died Mm. and I just kind of withdrew for a while. And I started writing uh, what I initially just started off as a book, a comet memoirs book. 
as for therapy. Okay. And then I, I wrote the whole thing, and then I realized I had started it. It started to look like an autobiography. You said, well, maybe I what I really want to do. So I went and rewrote the whole thing. Oh. And got it in final form, uh, deliberately shooting for the 10th, no, pardon me, the 20th anniversary of the Hale-Bopp discovery. And I actually finished the final uh, proofread, final update, literally just a few days before that. Hmm. It's only available as an ebook right now. Okay. It's on the, the main page of the Earthrise website. There's a, a link to it. Okay. I'll, I'll, put, I'll, to I'll put that in the show notes. So if the people are interested, they can go get it. Okay. That's, great. That's great. Uh, I'm thinking now, of course, that was that was in 2015. That was nine years ago. Uh, time for an update. Yeah. I mean, maybe it is time to do, especially if I do really slow down at the end of this year, which I'm looking at doing. Uh all, all the comments that have appeared since then that I've mm -hmm. observed. Uh, of course, there's a lot of things that have gone on in my personal life. My, my personal emotional situation is much better than it was. Well, that's good. To at hear. that time, I mean, I I have a new partner now. I mentioned Vicky before. I mm -hmm. mean, we've been we met uh, seven years ago. We've been uh, living together for five years now. Okay, she she still puts up with me. I don't know no. how she does it. Uh, I keep it it. I'm afraid that someday she's going to come to her senses and run nah. away screaming into the hills, but uh, she assures me she won't do that. <laughs> so, but uh, we've been together five years. Her father lives with us. Uh, he's been living with us for the past four years. Right. Um, uh, now, are you a musician? Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really not. Uh, okay. I, 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 I played some, somewhere. I, played I read that you were. No. Uh, I played guitar for okay. a church group back when I was in high school. Okay. But I, I practiced, 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 and got to the point where I was maybe sort of halfway okay. But uh, my my younger son is a musician. He got he has actually a, a master's degree in music, oh my. although he did find out that he it was hard to get a job that way, so he went back to school and got his bachelor's and electrical engineering <laughs> <laughs> and now he works on radar systems out of civil service out of holloman air force base oh, so okay here in new mexico so uh and he you know he picked up a guitar and within an hour was better than i ever was oh my yeah but music has been a passion of yours hasn't it oh absolutely yeah. uh I, and i i mean i was i, I came of age in you know, early 70s really uh -huh. music came of age i mean i was raised on on old time country music for, for my parents. And then I kind of s drifted over to rock mm -hmm. in the early seventies. And so I've been a, a rock and roller ever since, but I, I actually listened to just about anything. Okay. And I, uh, back about, Oh gosh, it's been 20 years now. Has it been that long? Yes, it has been. I, I, I knew a gentleman in Alamogordo who had was bringing a new radio station online and a, we had had talks off and on, and for about two years, I had a, a gig, a weekly gig on his radio stations that I called "The Other Side of the Sky." Hmm. Uh, that's a story, a title that I stole from an Arthur C. Clarke book. Although hmm. I did write, I, Arthur Clarke and I actually corresponded with each other on an occasional basis. Oh, really? And uh, I asked his permission to use that title. He said, "Sure, go ahead." Yeah. Very nice. So, and I would, I discussed lots of things, but I played music, but, uh, 
I played uh, everything. Hmm. And I, I like to joke, I could play Metallica one minute and one song, and then I turn around and play something from any of the next. Uh, and then I might play a rap tune, and then I might play classical. You know? Wow. So you so, you get you, you got a real mix with me. So you're a DJ. Yes, I was. Very and cool. I had I had a blast. I actually had a blast. And I and I would discuss current events and I discussed topics in space. I would interview guests from time to time. Uh I did a special show to commemorate the anniversary of my first trip to Iran. Mm. And so I I interviewed some of the people that were part of those two trips. Uh, a couple of those were astronauts. So one was Rusty Schweikert. Uh, who what was the lunar module Apollo on Apollo right. nine? I didn't I didn't interview him, but on our second trip, Bruce McCandless. Oh, okay. Who he's most famous for being in that that iconic image of the astronaut floating in the MMU. Right, right. But if you talk to him, he he was actually most proud of the fact that he was part of the shuttle team that deployed the Hubble Space Telescope. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So he was proud of that. But Bruce and his then wife Bernice uh, accompanied me on our, our second trip to Iran. So I mean, I interviewed Bruce and I interviewed some of the other people, and I called one of my contacts in Iran. Mm. As for that call, I mean, it, we, we of course obviously arranged this ahead of time because right. it was about two thirty in the morning nah. his time. But he duly got up and talked to us on the phone for about uh, fifteen twenty minutes. So. Nice, yeah. Nice. So. So, so what's, I, your, I, what's, what's your go-to music you listen to now? Uh, I listen. I listen to still basically rock. But okay. I like some of the newer bands. Uh, okay. Some of my favorite current bands are Vampire Weekend, Imagine Dragons. Okay. Uh, Arcade Fire. I've heard of um, one of those. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which one have you heard of? Uh, Imagine Dragons. Yeah, so they've they've had some real big ones. Uh, yeah. They're, they're, Real big. Uh, I really, really recommend Vampire Weekend. They're, they're very, very good. Okay. Is this like uh, metal? No, they're they're okay. kind of like in, like indie rock. I guess oh, okay. if I if I had to decide what I my favorite genre, uh, kind of indie rock. I've really gotten into that over the last several years. Okay. But you said uh, you were raised on country. Yeah, and I mean, uh, John, we're talking Johnny Cash, Marty okay. Robbins, Sonny James. Back in the early 80s, when I was uh, in the Navy and stationed in San Diego, I got to go see Johnny Cash perform live in concert, and oh. I treasure that occasion. Oh, my God. Uh, and uh, this is a story I'll tell. Uh, if if you just, of course, if you discover an asteroid, do you get naming privileges? Mm-hmm. Of course, now all, most of the asteroids are now being discovered by surveys. Right. But if an asteroid has not been named within 10 years of its numbering. Uh, naming rights go to whoever. I mean, they the discoverer no longer has that. So there's tons and tons and tons and tons mm-hmm. of main belt, main belt asteroids that don't have names. Uh, and I was I, I happened to know Gareth Williams, who is retired director of the Minor Planet Center, and I said, can I suggest some names? May I? And he said, well, send them and write up citations and we'll, we'll put it before the board. You know, the, the small small names, mm-hmm. small bodies names committee, the IEU. So I prepared a list of several names. Uh, and one of the names that I suggested was Johnny Cash. Uh, and they accepted that. Uh, there actually is an asteroid named Johnny Cash. I think it's 10105, but don't quote me on that. Uh, okay. 
I could probably look that up while we're talking, but uh, that's very cool. So, and I, through the Las Cumbres Observatory, I took some images of Johnny Cash when it was near opposition about a year, year and a half or so ago. Mm. And uh, about two or three hours apart, so you can see its motion. Right. And I contacted the Johnny Cash Museum in Nashville and said, do you want it? They said, sure. So I sent them a couple of images. I don't know what they did with them. Mm. But uh, that's very cool. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> that's a good, good uh, honor for Johnny Cash, the man in black. Uh, I, I completely agree. Uh, yeah. One zero five zero five Johnny Cash. Okay. Very cool. Uh, and uh, that fo followed from another story back in 2020. I had a, I did a conducted an online program called Ice and Stone 2020 which was a global educational effort on the small bodies of the solar system. And I was commemorating the 25th anniversary of the Hillbop discovery and the 50th anniversary of my first comet observations. Ugh. And for I did a, a put together a presentation on main belt asteroids, and I wanted to illustrate an asteroid moving over a period of time. So I took some images of asteroid number 4151 which happens to be named alan hale uh, i have david levy and the shoemakers to thank for that no that was very nice yeah so i mean i chose that asteroid for obvious reasons mm -hmm. so i took i had a couple of images and i was sh i showed them the vicky to see if she if she could spot it it was a pretty rich milky way starfield said, can you spot this asteroid well she didn't spot it but she did find another asteroid in the same field. Wow. That actually was dimmer than mine. Oh, my. So I, I went and tried to identify which one it was. Well, it was one that had been discovered by the Linear Program back around 2000. Uh, it had been numbered for a good long while, but was not named. Uh, I happened to know Grant Stokes, who was the PI of the Linear Program. Mm -hmm. I contacted him. Uh, he, he said, well, naming it's been over 10 years, naming rights. So I asked uh, Gareth if the small bodies named me would be willing to name it after my partner, Vicky. Oh, and they did. Very nice. Because she inadvertently rediscovered it. Ah, there you in go. The images. So, there you uh, go. So her, her, her last name is Mosley, her, 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 and her maiden name is Stone. So the asteroid's name is Stone Mose, <laughs> which was her, her idea. Very so, cool. uh, if actually, if you go to uh, the Earthrise website, but I I got a special domain for the Ice and Stone program called Hailbot.org. Okay. So if you go to Hailbot.org, it'll take you directly to the Ice and Stone page uh, under special topics. The week one is on main belt asteroids, and I have I've posted those images, and I I think on the the main page I had. I, yeah, Alan Hale annotated, but I left uh, the other one as an exercise for the reader. But then I have a link to where you can where it actually shows that. At that time, we didn't have the name Stone Nodes hadn't been approved yet, so I had to use its uh, designation and its number. But, uh, but for at least for a little while in time, uh, she and I were together in space. Ah, there you go. Very uh, sweet. So as I kind of put it at, you know, who a data astronomer. 
Uh, who else can promise you the sun, moon, and stars <laughs> and deliver? Well, I actually gave her a rock in space with her name on it. There you go. Yeah, I was lucky enough to have uh, to have Rick Hill name one after me a few years yeah. back. <laughs> it's kind of kind of a cool honor. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Nice. This is fantastic. I mean, anything else you anything else you want to share with us today? Uh I don't know if I anything I can come up with off, off the top of my head. Uh okay. I Ice and Stone uh the presentations are still valid. Okay. Uh, although some of them are starting to get outdated now. Okay. I mean it's it's been 4 years and a lot happens. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean we've had things like the Osiris Rex mission has come back. Right. Uh, with all all these things, a couple of the missions have launched. Psyche and Lucy have launched since mm-hmm. then. Uh, of course, there's been some interesting comets that have come yep. by since then, uh, yep. as there always are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought about, well, do I want to revive that? Uh, I don't know. I did that as a labor of love, but if I were to do that again, I think I would want some funding for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because uh, mm-hmm. I could, like I said, I may come up with, I may write a new, an, a second edition of the Comet Man at some point in the not too distant future. It seems how I go. I really am enjoying my work with the Global Sky Partners. I think that I really get off on that, uh, working with all these educators from around the world. I am actually am hooking up with a, an effort by an organization called the Earthlight Foundation. Okay, and they are. They're kind of looking at building part of the whole concept of building spacefaring future for humanity. But one of the things they're doing is they're they're working with Celestron to donate telescopes to schools around the country and eventually around the world. So I'm kind of agreed to be their technical advisor, so to speak. Oh, they've very just, good. They, they've just kicked off their program. They had their first donation to some schools in Texas a couple of months ago. And uh, they're going okay. f- forward from there. Uh, I do like the project. It's called Dreamscopes is the name of the project. And uh, we'll see how... I- I'm hoping that that can come through and come through in a big way. We'll we'll see. Uh, I'm working... One of the people I'm working with, and this is... If you don't know her already, uh, be prepared for her. There's a young lady named... Pranvera Hysini. Uh, she's been on the podcast and she's going okay. to be on it. You, she's you going to be on Pran. again in a few weeks. Yes. You know Pran. Okay. I know Pran very well. Yeah. You know to watch out for. She's, she's, a, think, she's a little spark plug, man. Oh, she absolutely is. Well, she, some of her telescopes that she had uh, gotten for her planetarium in, in Kosovo, uh, mm-hmm. they were, were damaged in a, in a car accident. You're right. Right. Really, so I'm working with uh, Earthlight Foundation and Dreamscopes Project to replace some of those telescopes for her. Yeah, and the observatory just opened too, the one that was yes. built. So mm-hmm. uh, we're having her on to talk about the observatory in, in a few weeks as well. Yeah, well, and I would just advise the community keep your eye on her. I think she's really going to go places. Yeah, I think she's so. she's she's a powerhouse. <laughs> she is. Uh, I met her at a conference in Tucson. Uh, Space Fest in Tucson a few years ago. She came up and introduced herself to me. Uh, if, if if I was my son's age, I'd probably be interested in her as a lady. Uh, <laughs> you're, not the, you're not the only astronomer I know that said that. <laughs> but uh, since uh, she's so much younger than me, I mean, I 
I, I like her as a person. Right. Yes. Yeah, she, she's, and I think she's just a perfect person. She's a, a, a woman. And I love, I want to see more and more women involved in this. Yes. Because they're, they're half of the human race and they have half the brain power. If well, not, I, I think more, I think more. I, I think to, I tend to agree with you. Yes. And that uh, we really need to unlock and unleash that brain power. Yes, we do. And uh, I'm, so I'm happy to see someone like her, uh, and her generation really pushing things forward. So yep, yes. Yep. That's she's doing. Very good. Well, Alan, this has been a real pleasure having you on the podcast. We've met before years ago, probably at Riverside. Probably. But, uh, if yeah. you if you were at that Riverside then? I, I, I went twenty five straight years. So I'm sure okay. I, I'm sure we ran into each other one time or another. I, well, I was a pretty regular attender back in the yeah. mid early to mid eighties. Yeah, so was I. So yeah, so we probably did cross paths then. Yeah. Uh Well, this has been great. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. Again, I want to thank Alan Hale for coming on the podcast today. I really enjoyed that. I hope you did too. We upload a new episode of The Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you want to, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and give us a rating, and I'd really appreciate it. You can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Echo, Spotify, and this podcast is also available on the ALPO YouTube channel. You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon where you can give up to $35 a month, where you'll receive one year's membership to the ALPO, and can produce the credits on the podcast. With that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net, or on Twitter at, at observersn. B pod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.